Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This will be for section 122. This is a continuation of the letter that Joseph wrote while in Liberty Jail, and so this is a continuation of 121. I'll read the heading first. The word of the Lord to Joseph Smith the prophet while a prisoner in the jail at Liberty, Missouri. This section is an excerpt from an epistle to the church dated March 20th, 1839. Uh, Joseph would escape prison in April after being in prison for four or five months. This is a continuation of the same letter began in section 121. Verse 1. The ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name, and the fools shall have thee in derision. As Latter-day Saints, our commission is to bear witness of the restored gospel to all the peoples of the earth. Central to that testimony is the announcement that Joseph Smith was the man chosen by God to stand at the head of this dispensation. We cannot be true to that commission independent of the testimony that Joseph Smith is the great prophet of the Restoration. If the adversary can get us to substitute something for that message, the victory is his. It is not our purpose to convert people to programs, to activities, or to a Latter-day Saint culture, nor can we modify the message the Lord gave us in an attempt to be more acceptable. To make such things the focus of our efforts is to lose sight of our destiny and purpose and will eventually cause us to lose our own way. There is power in such a testimony, and every effort is made by the adversary to keep us from bearing it. Perhaps his most effective ploy is the notion that we should not testify about Joseph Smith for fear that people will think we worship him instead of Christ. The hope here is to gain respectability in the eyes of professing Christians by emphasizing our faith in Christ, while avoiding reference to Joseph Smith. We cannot follow such a course without offending the Spirit. Joseph Smith is the great revelator of Christ for his, for this dispensation. It is through him, that is the revelations given him, that we have learned every truth about Christ we have been commissioned to teach the nations of the earth. We can no more disassociate our message from Joseph Smith than we can disassociate Moses from the law that bears his name, John from the baptism he performed, or the revelator from the book he wrote. We cannot accept Christ without accepting those he has sent in his name. We cannot declare the message of the restoration without accepting or without telling the story of the first vision. If God did not speak to authorities or if God did not speak to Joseph Smith and if he did not send the ancient prophets to him to give him the keys, powers and authorities that were theirs, we have no message to bear. Our testimony is like that of Brigham Young, who said, There is not a man or woman that loves the truth who has heard the report of the Book of Mormon, but the Spirit of the Almighty has testified to him or her of its truth. Neither has any man heard the name of Joseph Smith, but the Spirit has whispered to him, He is a true prophet. We can't... We can tell what we are making that we are making progress by the attention we get from the adversary. This has been the lot of the Lord's people from the beginning, and it will be no different in our time. That was by Spencer Kimball. The church is now established in countries around the world. Wherever the church exists, Satan tries to counteract its influence. Thousands of anti-Mormon pamphlets and dozens of books have been written to attack Joseph Smith and the kingdom. 
He has been called a fraud, deluded, and a tool of Satan, but as President Spencer W. Kimball said, besides fulfilling prophecy, this negative attention is, is in one way a good sign. We can tell that we are making progress by the attention we get from the adversary. This has been a lot of the Lord's people from the beginning, and it will be no different in our time. Millions of other individuals hold Joseph's name in the highest esteem. Ultimately, the kingdom of God will prevail. And hell shall rage against thee. Every truth of salvation is attested to by two witnesses, the sweet, quiet whisperings of the Spirit and the loud, ugly, and rancorous hollering of the adversary. If the prince of darkness and his legions do not oppose a doctrine fighting and warring against it, we can, we can have every assurance it is not a principle of salvation. The importance of a doctrine can always be measured in Satan's opposition to it. Standing opposite the greatest doctrines may always be found the greatest heresies. Further, it is the practice among people of evil disposition that when they cannot refute a person's doctrine, they attack their character. Had Satan chosen to leave Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saint people alone, we would have every reason to hold them suspect as far as their claim to possessing the truths of salvation is concerned. Such was never their lot, for as the prophet observed, as for the perils which I am called to pass through, they seem but a small thing to me. As the envy and wrath of man have been my common lot <clears throat> all the days of my life, and for that and for what cause it seems mysterious, <clears throat> unless I was ordained from before the foundation of the world for some good end or bad, as you may choose to call it. While the pure in heart and the wise and the noble and the virtuous shall seek counsel and authority and blessings constantly from under thy hand. And thy people shall never be turned again against thee by the testimony of traitors. The three witnesses and other prominent church leaders have turned against Joseph, but the church will not turn against him. And although their influence shall cast thee into trouble and into bars and walls, thou shalt be had in honor, and but for a small moment, and thy voice shall be more terrible in the midst of thine enemies than the fierce lion because of thy righteousness, and thy God shall stand by thee forever and ever." Charles W. Penrose said, I thank God that when I heard the gospel preached, it found a place in my soul. I was prepared for it in that singular and simple way, and ever since that time, there is something about the, the very name of Joseph Smith and his work and mission which thrills me in every part of my nature. I rejoice in bearing testimony, as I have done in many countries and at many times, that Joseph Smith was indeed a prophet of the living God, that he lived a a prophet that he died, that is, his spirit left his body as a prophet, that he is still ministering in that capacity where he has gone in a sphere shut out from our gaze, like our former estate is shut out from our vision. But he lives, and, and he will be troubled no more by the tyrants that followed him. He will be troubled no more with the false reports that were raised against his character. He is troubled no more with the conflicts of life, for he had to fight upstream all the time as he struggled along from year to year, but he has gone from the gaze of the world and from our gaze for a time and now is working in the world beyond the veil in that vast sphere where there are so many of the children of God who have lived in the flesh and have gone before us. Parley P. Pratt said, In one of those tedious nights in the winter of 1838-39 to in Richmond, Missouri jail, we had lain as if in sleep till the hour of midnight had passed and our ears and hearts had been pained while we had listened for hours to the obscene jests, the horrid oaths, the dreadful blasphemies, and filthy language of our guards, Colonel Price at their head, as they recounted to each other their deeds of rapine, murder, robbery, etc., which they had committed among the Mormons while at far west in vicinity. 
They even boasted of defiling by force wives, daughters, and virgins, and of shooting or dashing out the brains of men, women, and children. I had listened till I became so disgusted, shocked, horrified, and so filled with the spirit of indignation, indignant justice that I could scarcely refrain from rising upon my feet and rebuking the guards. But I had said nothing to Joseph or anyone else, although I lay next to him. I knew he was awake. On a sudden he arose to his feet and spoke in a voice of thunder, as and or as the roaring lion, uttering, as near as I can recollect, the following words, Silence, ye fiends of the infernal pit. In the name of Jesus Christ I rebuke you and command you to be still. I will not live another minute and hear such language. Cease such talk, or you or I die this instant. He ceased to speak. He stood erect in terrible majesty, chained and without a weapon. Calm, unruffled, and dignified as an angel, he looked down upon the quailing guards, whose knees smote together and who, shrinking into a corner or crouching at his feet, begged his pardon and remained quiet until at the exchange of guards. I have seen ministers of justice clothed in ministerial robes and criminals arraigned before them. While life was suspended upon a breath in the courts of England, I have witnessed a Congress in solemn session to give laws to nations. I have tried to conceive of kings of royal courts, of thrones and crowns, and of emperors assembled to decide the fate of kingdoms. But dignity and majesty have I seen but once, as it stood in chains at midnight in a dungeon in an obscure village of, of Missouri. Verse 5. If thou art called to pass through tribulation, if thou art in perils among false brethren, if thou art in perils among robbers, if thou art in perils by land or by sea, if thou art accused with all manner of false accusations, if thine enemies fall upon thee, if they tear thee from the society of thy father and mother and brethren and sisters, and if with the drawn sword thine enemies tear thee from the bosom of thy wife, and of thine offspring, and thine elder son, although but six years of age, shall cling to thy garments, and shall say, My father, my father, why can't you stay with us? O oh, my father, what are the men going to do with you? And if then he shall be thrust from thee by the sword, and thou be dragged to prison, and thine enemies prowl around thee like wolves for the blood of the Lamb. Joseph Smith said, Myself and fellow prisoners were taken to the town, far west Missouri, into the public square, and before departure we, after much entreaty, were suffered to see our families being attended all the while by a strong guard. I found my wife and children in tears, who feared we had been shot by those who had sworn to take our lives, and that they would see me no more. When I entered my house, they clung to my garments, their eyes streaming with tears, while mingled emotions of joy and sorrow were manifested in their countenances. I requested to have a private interview with them a few minutes, but this privilege was denied me by the guard. I was then obliged to take my departure. My partner wept. My children clung to me until they were thrust from me by the swords of the guards. I felt overwhelmed while I witnessed the scene and could only recommend them to care of that God whose kindness had followed me to the present time and who alone could protect them and deliver them or deliver me from the hands of my, my enemies and restore me to my family." Quite the scene that Joseph encountered here, isn't it? Verse 7, And if thou shouldst be cast into the pit, or into the hands of murderers, and the sentence of death be passed upon thee, if thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the heavens shall black shall gather blackness, and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. 
Difficulty faced well rewards its subjects with greater strength. Greatness of character can come only from the rigors of experience in which it is forged. There is a purifying and sanctifying power that grows out of suffering that cannot perhaps be gained in any other way. That was by Joseph Ely McConkie. Orson F. Whitney said, It remained for the prophet Joseph Smith to set forth the why and wherefore of human suffering, and in revealing it he gave us a strength and power to endure that we did not before possess. For when men know why they suffer and realize that it is for a good and wise purpose, they can bear it much better than they can in ignorance. The prophet was lying in a dungeon. For the gospel's sake, he called upon God who controlleth and subjecteth the devil, and God answered, telling him that his suffering should be but a small moment. Thou art not yet as Job, said the Lord. Thy friends do not contend against thee. Job's friends, it will be remembered, tried to convince him that he must have done something wrong, or those trials would not have come upon us, or come upon him. But Job had done so had done no wrong, it was without cause, that Satan had sought to destroy him. God said to Joseph, If thou art called to pass through tribulation, if thou art in perils among false brethren, perils among robbers, perils by sea and land, if fierce winds become thine enemy, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. There is the reason. It is for our development, our purification, our growth, our education, our advancement that we buffet the fierce waves of sorrow and misfortune, and we shall be all the stronger and better when we have swum the flood and stand upon the farther shore. The fall of Adam and Eve was a great calamity, but it brought forth a wonderful blessing. It gave us our bodies with endless opportunities to advance and achieve. It brought death into the world, but it also brought forth the human family. There was the compensation of Christ. There was the compensation. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. The crucifixion of Christ was a terrible calamity, but the atonement connected with it was the foreordained means of men's of man's salvation. Israel's calamities, fate, calamitous fate, proved a blessing to the world in general. God's promises to Abraham had had to be had to be made good. In thee and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This promise was fulfilled in Christ, but an important part of the fulfillment began when the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were flung broadcast over the, over the world, and the barren wastes of unbelief might be sprinkled with the blood that believes and made fruitful of faith and righteousness. So it is with all troubles and sorrows, there is a compensation for them. The philosopher Emerson says, A fever, a a mutilation, a cruel disappointment, a loss of wealth, a loss of friends, seems at the moment unpaid loss and unpayable. But the sure years reveal the deep remedial force that underlies all facts. The death of a dear friend, wife, brother, lover, which seemed nothing but privation, somewhat later assumes the aspect of a guide or genius, for it commonly operates revolutions in our way of life. terminates an epoch of infancy or of youth which was waiting to be closed, breaks up a wanted occupation or a household or a style of living, and allows the formation of new ones more friendly to the growth of character. It permits or constrains the formation of new acquaintances and the reception of new influences that prove of the first importance to to the next years, and the man or woman who would have remained a sunny garden flower with no room for its roots and too much sunshine sunshine for its head by the falling of the walls and the neglect of the gardener is made the banyan of the forest, yielding shade and fruit to wide neighborhoods of men.
How true! To whom do we look in days of grief and disaster for help and consolation? Who are these friendly neighbors gathered in today? They are men and women who have suffered, and out of their experience in suffering, they bring forth the riches of their sympathy and condolences as a blessing to those now in need. Could they do this had they not suffered themselves? When the sky darkens and the tempest threatens, where do we go for shelter? To the sagebrush or the willow? No, rather to some spreading oak that has withstood the storms of ages and become stronger because of the fierce winds that have swayed its branches and caused its roots to strike deeper and deeper into the soil. When we want counsel and comfort, we do not go to children, nor to those who know nothing but pleasure and self-gratification. We go to men and women of thought and sympathy, men and women who have suffered themselves and can give us the comfort that we need. Is not this God's purpose in causing his children to suffer? He wants them to become more like himself. God has suffered far more than man ever did or ever will, and is therefore the great source of sympathy and consolation. Who are they? Who are these arrayed in white, nearest to the throne of God? asked John the Apostle, wrapped in his mighty vision. The answer was, These are they who have come up through great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There is always a blessing in sorrow and humiliation. They who escape these things are not the fortunate ones. Whom God loveth, he chasteneth. When he desires to make a great man, he takes a little a little streetway for a boy in the backwoods, such as Lincoln or Joseph Smith, and brings him up through hardship and privation to be the grand and successful leader of a people. Flowers shed most of their perfume when they are crushed. Men and women have to suffer just so much in order to bring out the best that is in them. Orson F. Whitney said, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our character, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable, more worthy to be called the children of God. And it is through it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation that we gain the education that we come here to acquire and which will make us more like our Father and Mother in heaven. Verse 8, The Son of Man hath descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? No one can ever say that Christ doesn't understand our suffering. Erastus Snow said, It is not necessary in the providence of God that we should be all martyrs. It is not necessary that all should suffer death upon the cross because it was the will of the Father that Jesus should so suffer. Neither is it necessary that all the saints of this last dispensation should perish because our prophet perished, but yet it may be necessary that some should, that a sufficient number of faithful witnesses of God and of his Christ should suffer and even perish by the hands of their enemies to prove and show unto the world the unbelieving and unthinking that their testimony is true, and that they are ready not only to bear testimony inward, but indeed to sustain and honor their testimony through their lives and also in their death. And greater love than this no man can have for his friend or for his bosom companion, not even David and Jonathan, whose love for each other is said to have surpassed the love of woman. No one can give a stronger assurance of his devotion to the principles he has received and which he teaches to his fellow man than to patiently endure suffering and endure even and endurance even unto death. Daniel H. Wells said, Do not let us be discouraged at difficulties and trials, for we are sent to this state of existence for the express purpose of descending below all things, that we may pass the ordeals and trials of this life, and thereby prove our integrity and be prepared to rise above all things. And after all, we have not been called upon to endure 
to that extent that the Savior of the world was, but he was not subjected to afflictions he had to endure without hope. Neither are we, but we are called to pass through them that we may prove whether we have power and strength to stand in that day when all things shall be shaken and nothing doubting cleave to the Lord our God with full purpose of heart, no matter how much things are against us apparently." If we can pass these tests and trials, we shall prove to God and angels that we are worthy to receive the welcome plaudit. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Therefore hold on thy, verse 9, Therefore hold on thy way, and the priesthood shall remain with thee, for their bounds are set. They cannot pass. Thy days are known, and thy years shall not be numbered less. Therefore fear not what man can do, for God shall, not, for God shall be with you forever and ever. The reference is to those who held Joseph Smith and his companions captive in the dungeon of Liberty Jail. Angels stood as companions to their captive brethren. They would assure that the bounds the Lord had set for the, for the fiends that held his servants captive would not be tra- traduced. For there is a time appointed for every man according to his works shall be. As to those of the saints who suffer with sickness or affliction, the Lord said it shall come to pass that he that hath faith in me to be healed and is not appointed unto death, shall be healed. At the funeral of Richard L. Evans, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, Joseph Fielding Smith, then president of the church, said, No righteous man is taken before his time. Joseph Smith had the, true, had the sure promise that he would not be taken until his work had been completed. For there is a time appointed for every man according as his work shall be. As to those of the saints who suffer with sickness or affliction, the Lord said, It shall come to pass that he that hath faith in me to be healed is not appointed unto death shall be healed. At the, I think I, I read that. Okay. Joseph Smith came out of the prison a kinder man when he, than when he went in. This prison experience had a softening effect upon the prophet. Although he was a great man before he went into the prison, after he came out, he was even greater. I bear testimony that these things are true and that as we understand the purpose of suffering is for our education and for our good, that we uh, take it patiently. And I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.